listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe and feel heard in the industry. Bring you industry relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today, I am joined by Emma, and she is here to tell us all about herself, all about her journey as a coach, as a mentor, as an advocate, all of the above. And so I could sit here and do, I suppose, like a bit of an intro spiel on her behalf, but I always love it when people intro themselves, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you love, all of that good stuff. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, my name's Em. I am a health professional. I um, currently do my own online coaching, which is nutrition and wellness coaching. And then I also run a group fitness studio here in Canberra. Amazing. Amazing. And how long have you been doing your online coaching? Really not that long, funnily enough. Um, about two years now, coming into nearly two years. Um, but I had sort of started my platform beforehand and got some on-floor experience in gyms before I launched my online business. Amazing. And when you say that you got your sort of platform going before you converted entirely online with your coaching business, are you talking about sort of your Instagram platform and your social media platform and you were building that up as you went or are you talking about your client base in terms of on-floor gym experience? Yeah, so definitely more so my like social media presence Um, and it was more so wanting to make sure that I was putting the right message out there and I knew what I wanted to do with it before I sort of started taking on clients because I find that you attract the energy that you put out. So I wanted to make sure that was really consistent. Definitely. And so with that, I suppose, in mind, because I think that's one of the questions that like coaches, personal trainers, anyone with a business basically that needs to be on social media, you know, because as, as I said, like you can't get away with not being on social media really, I don't think, especially if your business is like predominantly online. Obviously, if you're doing PT, you know, in a gym floor setting, you might get referrals from the gym and you, you may not need the social media side of things. But I think, you know, it's 2023, almost 2024, like we know that we need a social media platform, but it's one of those things that's like, oh my God, like, where do I start? What do I do? Um, what, you know, kind of message do I want to create? Do I need to have a completely separate business social media? Do I have a personal one? Like what's the right thing to do? Um, and so I'd love to sort of dive into how you went about creating those social media platforms that you do have and building up that following. Was it sort of an intentional thing of sitting down and being like, okay, what are the types of content that I want to create? Do I set aside time each week to make my content? Um, Who am I talking to? Or am I just like talking about my life and see who sort of filters in? Yeah, well, it definitely wasn't intentional to start. And those that have been following me from the start have definitely seen the the progression of my content creation and I think myself as well. Um, God, I started my social media during lockdown just as a way to keep myself accountable. Um, And I learned a lot in creating content and I sort of sought inspiration from others. So it definitely wasn't intentional and it was something that I always wanted to talk about 
the ebbs and flows of weight loss and weight gain and having a healthy relationship with food in your body. Um, And I found that a lot of people could relate to that, hence why the following grew, but it's been really organic and I don't plan my content. I kind of just go with the flow Um, and I think that works really well for my audience because they're just normal people. So I definitely try and market more of I want it to be a really educational space for people um, versus just like a highlights reel. Definitely. And you can that definitely shines through in your in your content and in your social media. You know, you're doing the Technique Tuesdays and, you, and you're doing that sort of educational content as well as I think the inspiring or there's probably like another word for it in terms of like different content pillars that I know some people use to you know, plan their content. There's like the educational, there's the community, there's the, you know, inspiring side of things as well. But I mean, if you're saying that you started your social media in lockdown, that's not that long ago to have built the following that you do have, which is super impressive. Yeah, it it um really isn't that long when you think about it. And it's been a weird, like I had a couple of videos go viral and things like that. But um, what kind of really did it was I did an article with the company um, and it was published to Seven News. Um, and that's when I just had an influx come through. Uh, and then working with Muscle Nation, obviously I'm on their socials a lot. So I find that's great. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it kind of just happened realistically like nearly overnight it was just a thing that I now had like 20,000 followers and that was my job now we love that we love that we love but the thing is too I think often people will look at you know a story like that and be like oh my god like so lucky some videos went viral and like overnight success but it's never the case like there's obviously so much work that goes into the back end and you know you've been consistently uploading you know content and videos for years and building up that following and it's not just oh you know lucky one video goes viral and all of a sudden you have 10,000 followers like that rarely happens yeah and it's so interesting that you say that because even when those videos happen to go viral you generally don't actually like if you get a million views on a video you're not going to get a million followers so you know depending on the type of content that you're putting out you very rarely get that big of an influx it's just kind of like a a consistency game um on your platform and then people just kind of trickle in and I also find too because and I know I've had a few videos go viral on TikTok versus Instagram I think it's easier to go viral on TikTok than it is Instagram anyway (laughs) but even the people like even when you do get an influx of followers because of the nature of a video going so viral it's being pushed out or seen by so many different people and often those people aren't necessarily like your ideal client or audience or you know whatnot so even if you are getting a small influx of those people there's no guarantee that those people are going to stick around because then they realize what your sort of messaging actually is and then they're like oh never mind like I know as I said exactly (laughs) with the videos that I've had go viral I did get you know a couple thousand influx of followers on my TikTok but a lot of those were like men (laughs) that I was like thanks like appreciate it kind of but also like you're not the people that I want to coach anyway and then you know obviously like as they realize that like that's not the type of content that you're creating all the time you know they're going to unfollow you and then I'm like oh where are all my people going and it's like well it's not necessarily the people that you want in the first place because they're not going to convert to sales no that's right and it's and when you really look at all of that you start to think okay well 
especially when you work with brands, your engagement is mm. so important. So when you have exactly like those ghost followers that don't really engage but just kind of hit follow however long you go, it's really interesting. And then your content then gets pushed out to more ghost profiles and it's like a whole thing. And I actually go through and try and cull those because I find mm. that it does kind of mess up my algorithm and I don't get to reach the people that I want to reach. Um, but it's just so interesting and fascinating that there is a whole business strategy behind social media. And people oh, just massively. don't realise that it's a thing. <laughs> I'm like, definitely what goes into this stuff? A hundred percent. And I think that's, you know, a big side of social media, as you say, that like people don't really talk about. And as like, as we've said, we know that we need to be on it, but knowing sort of the the right strategy behind it and also the right strategy for you and what you're trying to do with the social media, because I think even, you know, different platforms are going to have different strategies and are going to have different purposes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. TikTok, for example, might be more of a community platform where you're putting out more sort of organic, like, here's a day in my life, like, get to know me, like, here's something that I experienced today, whatever. Whereas, um, or like here are my workouts, all of that kind of stuff so that people can kind of get to know your personality and then potentially convert from there. Whereas Instagram might be a little bit more salesy or it might be more educational and, you know, people can save the posts and interact there. Um, and I think, you know, that's strategy in and of itself, like being able to differentiate between the platforms as well as knowing, okay, like what am I what am I posting today? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's so funny. Like I neglect my TikTok. It's something that I don't post on as much as what I probably should. Um, and the one video that happened to get like 8 million views was just so irrelevant to what I actually do. Yeah, like, that's always the case great. with TikTok. <laughs> I feel like that's exactly yeah. the same as me. Like the only videos that have ever gone viral were like random um like mic'd up workouts where I'm like, oh, like cute boy over there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, it's God. the entertainment value. <laughs> exactly. But but I yeah. do think that that is what TikTok is for. And like those are the kind of videos that do well over on TikTok is like that kind of joking, organic style, a bit rougher edits. Um, like, yeah, that sort of more joking style content, whereas Instagram is a little bit more kind of clean cut, educational, and you can be a bit more sort of related to your business because obviously people are like interacting with the grid or they're following you versus like a random kind of scroll hole. Yeah, definitely. The for you page on TikTok, it's always a bit of a deep dive when you're on there. You never know <laughs> what you're going to get. It's so random. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, you said that, you know, for you and your social media strategy, even initially you wrote an article for for a company and then and that went to Channel 7. That is something that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, but I think that's also another really cool way of sort of broadening your audience and also establishing yourself not only on your own platform but also you know in the media space as an expert in you know health wellness fitness all of the above um can you talk to me a little bit about what that was what it it was you did did you reach out to people for that yeah so it was basically a brand that I had shopped from 
in, in the past and I, I do like subscription services basically and it's a health food company and I had been a customer of them for a long time following uh, some chronic disease diagnosis and uh, some other health concerns and my diet needed to be adjusted and it was really hard to navigate that. So I was like, oh, this looks like a one-stop shop. I can try all their products and go from there. Um, but it wasn't an article itself on me as a professional because I wasn't a professional yet. I hadn't finished uni. I hadn't done my fitness qualifications or my nutrition. I was just like a person that had a bit of a unique journey. Um, so they were like, we'd love to share it. Um, they basically organized everything. I just had a journalist ring me one day and they were like, tell us your life story and we'll put it in an article. And that was basically it. I love that. That's so sort of, I feel like that's such a unique story, but equally too, it's, you know, it's something that people don't necessarily think to do as well as far as like, and I know that for you, it wasn't necessarily like a strategy of growing your business because you didn't necessarily have the business at the time. But I think it's something that more personal trainers could be doing as a way of sort of expanding their audience. And as I said, like establishing um, or positioning themselves in the market as an expert on a particular topic. Um, and you know, my background is in journalism and PR. So, you know, that's something to me that I would think of being like, oh yeah, like that's smart. Like sending out, um, mm -hmm. story ideas to different sort of news outlets or even blogs, or as, as you said, like sending it to the company of the actual product because they want to promote their service just as much as like you want to position yourself and your business. Um, and yeah, I think often we, we think so much about, okay, like what can we be doing on our own social media platforms to like build that up? But, you know, pushing yourself out there on someone else's platform is another really great way of increasing exposure. Yeah, definitely. And I think something else that, and I've spoken to a, um, a good friend of mine about this when she was trying to build her platform a little bit more, but, and wanting to find her client base is mm. you need to market yourself as a person. Um, you, you know, we see it all the time that people are, oh, you know, do my workout and look like me? And it's, well, that's firstly not how it works. But secondly, that's really intimidating to people. So for me, like, I'm really lucky that my client base, again, you know, you, you sort of attract what you put out there, but they just want to have those healthier lifestyle habits and they can open up to me because they know that I've been through it. So I think it's another really important thing to not be scared to make it a little bit more personable and talk more about your unique story because most people in the fitness industry have that origin story. Yeah. And touching into that allows you to create those relationships and it goes such a long way when you're working with clients. A hundred percent. I think the biggest, you know, part or differentiating factor for any kind of coach is their level of empathy and that empathy is so often derived, as you say, in like your own unique experiences that you can then relate with other people. So I would love to sort of go back a little bit and touch on your unique story and talk a little bit about how you came into the fitness and wellness space. Were you sort of always sporty growing up? Were you, did this kind of like happen accidentally? Um, I'd love, yeah, just to go back in time a little bit and chat about that. Yeah, look, it's a bit of a, a weird one. Like I was always a sporty child and I was athletic, but I was I was a large, I was overweight as a child. Um, so I eventually got into the gym um, to prepare for a bilateral arthroscopy 
restabilization, which is basically just a major knee surgery on both my left and my right. Um, because years of being overweight and, you know, I was having issues with, you know, diabetes and heart disease and all that kind of stuff. So I was putting a lot of damage through my joints and had to have the surgery. Um, so then I started working with physios and exercise physiologists and dietitians trying to combat all of that. Um, it then kind of spiraled because I had lost so much weight in preparation for the surgery that when I had the surgery, I was out for about 18 months. In the midst of all of that, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, which meant that diet was a really key factor. So I was cutting out dairy and all processed foods, which means, okay, no calcium through dairy. If you have bone issues and joint issues, it was just like a double-headed evil. So it's been about 10 years in, I guess, my journey. Um, but yeah, lost around 40 kilos, went from being like a 94 kilo 12-year-old to being just absolutely tiny, um, really struggled with disordered eating patterns and uh, restriction. And then I kind of was like, well, damn, probably need to sort myself out and get on top of this. So I did in my adult life. I was probably around 2021 20, when I started, I guess, really taking my training and nutrition seriously. Fast forward, here we are. I love that. That is like such, as you say, not only is it a long journey in terms of a 10 year kind of overall thing, and then obviously I'm imagining too, it's still ongoing, but there's so many different I suppose, touch points there, even in terms of like the way that you can relate to your clients, but just, you know, the, the story that you, you can tell from being able to understand what it's like to, you know, be overweight or have body age, body image issues as a child, because I think so many people do. And then that impacts them as an adult when they can probably afford the personal training that you're giving them. Um, but then, you know, not only sort of the mental health side of things, but even just understanding the impacts that, you know, that kind of stuff is going to have on your joints. But then, you know, having this whole curveball thrown at you, which again, so many people do have this curveball thrown at them in later, you know, later on in life and having to sort of have the resilience to be able to overcome that next thing, which, you know, it's so easy to sit here and be like, okay, cool. Like I was just 40. <laughs> And then now I'm a PT. <laughs> so like, let's, let me help you be fit like me. Um, but like, as, as you said, the empathy factor and being able to understand what different clients are going to be going through, even if it's a story slightly different to yours, but the underlying themes throughout those kind of struggles that you've overcome are going to be so relatable for not only your audience, but then also obviously the clients that are going to choose you as their coach. Yeah, and I think it's one of those funny things and, you know, everyone glorifies themselves on social media and they put their best foot forward. But I think for me it's people need someone to relate to. They need someone who they can compare themselves to. Not compare is probably a, a poor word choice, but someone to look at that you go, okay, well, she's not just genetically blessed. She's been through it too. If she did it, I can do it. Instead mm. of just thinking, oh, she's just really lucky. She was always sporty. She's just skinny because that is just the mentality, right? Um, so, yeah, and look, it's something that people will come to me about and they have their own, you know, like my condition's really rare. So people will come to me with their own rare condition or I did 
a little bit more on my self-harm and mental health journey and I just had so many people reach out to me about that because they felt that they were alone and it's not talked about because it's so hard to talk about in a way that is respectful to others and mm. it's you know coming from a place of, of care and kindness um, because it's so misunderstood so yeah people being able to I guess connect in that level even though it's on social media like I've never met these people but they come to you and say that you've changed their life and it's such an incredible space to be in when it's used within your scope and when it's used mm. for the right reasons. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the AWPT podcast. I'm Kayla, the founder of AWPT University, and if you're here, you're probably a dedicated fitness professional, personal trainer, or online coach who aspires to create an impact in the women's health and fitness industry through up-leveling your knowledge and skills, servicing your clients to the highest standard, and building a business that changes both you and your clients' lives. Because we value your continuous education and want to reward our podcast listeners who are committed to their growth and learning, we want to gift you $200 off our OG AWPT eight-week certification. This comprehensive online course covers women's anatomy and biomechanics, training and programming for women, female-specific nutrition and health, training during pregnancy and postpartum, peri- and postmenopausal considerations, and so much more. Visit www.awptuniversity.com today and use the code AWPTPODCAST, one word and all uppercase, at checkout for $200 off. We've also linked it in the show notes for your convenience. Now, back to the episode. That's such a big point there that you raise in terms of the in-your-scope and also, you know, the intention behind why you share the things that you do because, I mean, obviously social media and people on social media, there's such a spectrum (laughs) of, Mm. you know, the types of people, the types of coaches and the types of intentions. And I think while social media can be such an amazing place for the connection that you're talking about and for the you know, feeling like you're being understood and and hearing other people's stories and feeling like you're not alone. But then equally too, it's so easy for that type of, you know, really, I don't want to say fragile, but like it's a really sort of, some of those topics are really delicate because they are so important and they should be handled with Mm -hmm. care. But there's, it's then quite easy for people to exploit as a form of sales. I, I remember must have been last year or maybe it was in, even the year before, there was a particular um, influencer that was getting some backlash for using um, or preying on, I say in quotation marks, on people with disordered eating behaviours or pasts to be able to sell an mm-hmm. ebook um, or a fitness program. I don't know if you know the one that I might be talking about. oh there's so many like yeah but there are so many and and that's the problem because like as we've said it is so easy for people you know who are in you know that kind of state and who are vulnerable I think is the word that I'm looking for um and I don't want to say that as like a put down because you know Mm. they're still obviously strong but like it is a vulnerable group and so to be able to twist the message of being like oh, you're um, like, are you experiencing over-exercising or or food restrictions and all of that kind of stuff? Well, here, do my program and like, that's going to help you. Also, I'm unqualified and um, 
I'm just going to give you hit workouts for the next 10 weeks. And then like, it's an ebook. So there's no follow up. <laughs> like it's so there's, it, there's a lot of not only misinformation, but also just like malintentions, I think in this space as well. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. And it's so sad because the general population who are consuming that just don't know any better. Um, mm. And it's so true that these are vulnerable people that it can be so triggering to see that sort of stuff on social media even, um, you know, and it's something that definitely needs to be approached with grace and consideration to other people because you don't know what people are going through and that's very abundant when people reach out and tell me a bit about their journey. But um, it just blows my mind that people who are supposed to be leading by example are just so shamelessly exploiting other people's pain to make a buck and I just mm. it just has never sat right with me and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me um and it's also very difficult because a lot of my clients who do struggle with potentially disordered eating patterns or they really struggle with mental health we work collaboratively with other healthcare professionals to make sure they're in the best possible hands that means that we coordinate with their mental health professional their psych psychiatrist psychologist it means that when people reach out to me for nutrition coaching, if they don't fall within my scope, I look for people that they can go to. I do their referrals. I reach out to dietitians and they're like, oh my goodness, like I've, I never, I've never had this. Like I've worked with coaches before and they've just taken me on. Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to do you an injustice, you know, like I'm not going to be the best person for you, but I will help you to get you set up and feel confident moving forward. And, and I that's think what it needs to be. Yeah. And I think that takes so much, I suppose, maturity as a coach as well, um, to be able to like have the option of a new client and a new source of income or what, whatever it is and saying, actually, no, like I'm probably not the best person for you, or I might be able to help you in this specific area, but like, I don't have this full service that, you know, can help you with this and this and this as well. Like I'm not a psychologist. Mm. I don't have a counseling qualification. I'm not a dietitian. I don't have a diet, like a dietetics qualification, but that also either that means I don't work with you at all. And I'm comfortable with, with that because I want what's best for you, or I help mm. you in this particular area of your journey. And then I can help you find other people or, you know, we can work collaboratively with those people as well. I think it takes a lot of maturity um, and also ethics <laughs> to say no to certain things because it's not going to be what's best for the client. No, 100%. And I come from an allied health background. So I've worked mm -hmm. in multidisciplinary clinics and I've seen that stuff firsthand, which is why I think for me it's a bit of a no-brainer and it comes really naturally. But for people who potentially have only ever done qualification online space or they haven't worked clinically or within even, a, you know, a gym potentially because a lot of people do now, they do their qualification, they go straight online, which mm. is fine. But you don't have, I guess, those valuable experiences of understanding that. Um, and I've, again, had coaches reach out to me at the start of their business to ask these types of questions because they trust that how I run my business and we kind of mentor in a very unofficial way. 
Yeah. But when you explain it to people like that, they're like, oh my goodness, like that's such a good point. I didn't realize that I was able to refer people. And I'm like, yeah, babe, you refer, you go for gold. Um, so I just think it's a lack of potentially education in the way that people do their qualifications, but also a bit of a lack of experience because now coaching is just such a huge world online and it's the best, I guess, the best way to do it now versus in commercial gyms. You can just affect and reach so many more people and impact more lives, but it's such a hard one. It's a bit of a grey area, I think, too, because a lot of coaches out there aren't intentionally trying to do, I guess, the wrong thing, Mm. but they just don't know. Yeah, that's actually a really good point too about just like not necessarily having the resources or because so many people do work online and go from doing their qualification online where they're doing it by themselves to then trying to like start a business by themselves online. You know, they don't necessarily have this community where they can sort of refer to other people or have this kind of, yeah, space of like a multidisciplinary space with different people from different um, sectors of the health and fitness industry. And so, you know, if you don't personally have those connections as a coach, it's no wonder you don't necessarily know the right people to refer out to. And that's not necessarily, you know, the fault or there's no kind of malicious intent there in terms of like not referring out. It's just that you don't necessarily know who to refer out to. But equally, I think that there is some responsibility if you are a coach working with people with, you know, various different health issues to do a little bit of research in terms of finding other health professionals that you align with, whether that is just on social media as well, just like following different people Mm -hmm. and figuring out whose values seem to align with yours, you know, what their level of experience and expertise is, and then being able to use that as a sort of little community to be able to refer to as well, even if you don't necessarily work in the same clinic as them. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good point about building your community of coaches. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I am not a, a bikini competitive coach. I don't, I don't do that. But I know some great coaches who I've met through social media that I will refer people to. And same for people who want to do things like powerlifting, um, some great powerlifting coaches. Even before I had my nutrition um, certification, I would refer people onto others that, again, I had just met through social media but I really vibed with them and what they did um, and I saw them as respected professionals within that space instead of, I guess, an influencer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and, and it it doesn't need to be a really formal process. Sometimes it's just a link to a website, a link to a profile and explaining, hey, this is why I think this person's a better fit for you. Well, let me know how you go. If you need anything, let me know. Um, and I guess that definitely just comes down to professionalism because, again, when you're a coach, it's so easy to think of them as your friends because you create such close relationships. But at the end of the day, you're a paid professional. You need to act like one. Mm, that's a really good point as well. And as you said, like it doesn't have to, and, to, you know, to be professional doesn't have to mean, you know, doing a whole sort of like referral letter. I mean, sometimes it can, and if you're comfortable with that, it can. But as you say, it can sometimes be as simple as sending through the link and having a sort of simple yet professional kind of message to go alongside that of this is a great person. Here's why I think they would work well for you. Um, Because I think that's one of the other things that people get intimidated by is like, not necessarily having a format to do the referral with being like, I, well, I don't know, like, am I supposed to email the 
the doctor or the dietitian and like put in all of my clients details like what do I do um and so Mm -hmm. that might and then you obviously don't want to seem like you don't know what you're doing so you just don't do it um but yeah I think that's a really great point that you make about like it can be simple and they can sort of reach out to the person themselves but if you're giving them that avenue of like who to actually turn to that's you know an amazing help in and of itself yeah, and I think it's the same thing as, you know, I have clients in Brizzy who I'm not going to know any health professionals up there, but it's mm. just here's the professional that I recommend in the sense of you will benefit from going and seeing a dietitian. Here's why a dietitian will be great for you. Try and find some in your local area. I had a client um, who was having some knee surgery and I said she was kind of coming to me like, what can I do to prepare? And I was like, Mm-mm. We're going to a physio and I basically just searched up her postcode and had a look for practitioners who I thought were going to work really well for her and fitted in that mould of what she was needing. And then she ended up booking an appointment and away she went. Um, so, again, it, it doesn't have to be like a referral letter if you're not comfy writing them. I think it's just having a basic understanding of allied health practitioners and the healthcare system and knowing where you sit in that. And then just mm-hmm. go from there. Yeah, I think that is a really kind of simple way of putting it because I think it's so easy for, yeah, coaches to just sort of want to take it on it all and, like, you know, we we could do different courses and whatnot to up-level and, like, that can help you with your sort of general understanding. But I do think there is a lot to be said for having a qualification and a backing behind you um, if you are mm-hmm. going to be doing you know, things that are above a cert four, which, you know, a cert four obviously like doesn't qualify you to do a whole lot apart from just like personal training. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, it's important one to obviously refer out where possible and then also to continue to um, learn and educate yourself as well so that you know you can bring all of those skills together to be able to properly work with and help your clients yeah definitely and I think scope of practice within that is massive too um I have a bachelor degree so I'm a health scientist so my education is a lot greater than a standard cert for but that bachelor degree doesn't necessarily carry over to a registered professional which still means my scope of practice stays where it is so, you know, I've done, you know, biomechanics, exercise physiology, I've done dietetics within uni, but I'm not then going to go and register with the ESSA or the Australian Dietitian Board or Physiotherapy Board because my degree is not going to carry that load. So I think that's another really important point of you can be as educated as you want, but unless you're registered, you need to be really mindful about who you're taking on, what you're doing. You could tell someone the wrong thing. If they get hurt, you're liable. You've practiced without your scope, regardless of if you have the education or not, um, mm. which I think can be really upsetting for a lot of professionals. And another great example is a friend of mine has so much experience and is so switched on, especially when it comes to nutrition, but she's not formally qualified. So she has to, you know, zip her lip, um, which is hard to be able to do when you know you can help someone but you're not licensed or insured to do so. Mm, definitely. No, it's it's such a, a 
tricky and I think sometimes fine line between, yeah, yeah, like seeking the education, having the qualification. And also too, I think when it comes to the referral and the network that we were talking about of allied health professionals, um, you know, obviously that's going to be extremely beneficial when it comes to, you know, referring out. But I also think that having that network is a great way to have that sort of um, almost indirect or casual mentorship side of things as well, which I know you were talking about before, you know, being able to have someone that if it is just sort of like a one-off question that you can reach out to and ask because, you know, we obviously we don't know everything and we can't know everything and we all have our own sort of area of expertise. And so, you know, if it's like a big issue that someone's going to need to work with someone long-term or, you know, managing a chronic pain or whatever, that they definitely do need to like see that specific person. But if it is just, you know, oh, I have a client who's experiencing this, like what would you do in this situation? And they're the qualified one. Or my client has just like is experiencing a bit of knee pain in this area. Like how can I best support them, you know, having someone that you can reach out to to answer those questions is also super helpful as well oh so true and it goes such a long way because you get to learn so much in the process Mm. um my partner is a physio so lucky (laughs) I lean on him a lot I'm so lucky um so yeah I kind of lean on him a fair bit because you know a, a client might present with something uh, you know, that isn't a massive red flag, but what can I do to help? It could be a mobility issue, for example. He has a lot more understanding of, I guess, those clinical practices of being like, okay, well, this is a really great move that you could try. And also it allows you to almost get, I guess, clients in and getting referrals from those practitioners because there are definitely cases where people can't necessarily afford you know, working under an EP or working under a physiotherapist, but they can do those initial appointments and get their game plan. But they're so much more confident to come back to you when they're ready to go, hey, I'm all good, I'm fixed, I'm whatever, let's do it. And I think that's the thing is not every single client that you're going to engage with is going to necessarily create income off the bat, but you're creating relationships and building your brand for the future and they will come back to you. Mm. I think we we also had on that note, we had a physio on the podcast the other week and we were talking about injury management. And I mean, she was both a, a trainer and a physio. But one of the things that she was talking about was, you know, not being afraid to refer out. Like if you have a client who gets injured, not being afraid to sort of refer out to that physio or refer out to an exercise physiologist for a short period of time. Um, so that they can, you know, be in the best position to be able to heal um, and recover from their injury or manage that injury because then they're going to be more likely to, one, come back to you not only because, you know, they respect that you referred out, but two, they've been able to recover faster or they, um, you know, haven't had to completely stop exercising whereas I think you know Mm. sometimes when we're a coach and we we don't do that we're like oh shit you're injured okay we'll just like rest for six weeks um and then like we'll start back up again but you know six weeks is obviously a long time not to do anything and it's so easy for life to get in the way and then you just don't hear from them again um so you know having that intermediary person so that they can continue their journey and it's not that sort of stop start cycle of 
health, fitness, routine, all of that kind of stuff as well is also only going to benefit you. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, when you when you run a business within health and wellness, your number one priority needs to always be that client's well-being. And if mm. you just follow that really simple mentality, then everything else is just kind of going to flow on from that. Um, because, you know, you're creating those relationships, you're, you know, improving people's lifestyles and their and their health, which is a really big deal that I think a lot of coaches take for granted is you are such a big impact for that person. So, yeah, if you can just remember that mind frame of that person's not a paycheck, that person is a person, I want to help them, you're golden. I think that is probably, you know, the perfect place to wrap up this episode because I think it is, you know, such a powerful statement and such a powerful reminder for coaches to remember why they're doing the stuff that they're doing in the first place. And obviously, like, that's going to depend on why they got into the industry to begin with. But I think for 90% of coaches, it's because we want to help people. And it's because, you know, whether we've had a journey ourselves or not, like we want to help people live their best and healthiest lives. And I think it's really easy for, you know, the business complications to get in the way or clutter the mindset. But, you know, really reminding yourself on a regular basis, what am I doing it for? And that's going to only positively impact every other area of your business is going to impact who you choose to coach and why and therefore how you can market to them um, and, you know, the types of prices that you're going to be setting and all of these other, you know, business nitty gritty details are all going to be rooted in the same point, which is why you're doing it in the first place. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that is a perfect place to wrap up this episode today. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I think we we covered social media, we covered referrals, we covered, you know, <laughs> empathy. Like we really went all over the shop today, but I think in the best way possible. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and chat with all of our audience today. No, thank you so much for having me. I hope that it was entertaining and somewhat helpful, but no, it was so nice chatting with you too. And how can people find you? If they've found you on this podcast for the first time, where do people go from here to be able to stay in touch? Yeah, best way is probably just over on the old Instagram. I'm just at mcoombsfitness. I'm sure I'll pop up somewhere. And I will have that specific account linked in the show notes, so there's no excuse. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you again, Emma, and have a lovely rest of your week. For both you and everybody else listening to this episode. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.